Hello, Olivia. <laughs> How are you? Hey, I'm really good. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I love everything that you're doing. So it's an honor to be um, on your podcast. Thank you so much, Sylvia. So yeah, we met in London uh, in December and mm-hmm. I was really impressed by what you were doing. You know, you run a fashion wholesale business and retail business and you've been sourcing from so many different countries. So I thought yeah, it'd be really <laughs> interesting for you to share your story with um, with everybody over here because, you know, a lot of Amazon sellers, they don't want to develop fashion products. They prefer to stay away from apparel and all of these categories mm-hmm. because it's not always straightforward. Um, uh-huh. there are so many styles you have to maintain and you know the uh-huh. return rate is high so yeah I'm really interested in learning more about how you run the business and you know how you've been successful so first of all Sylvia why don't you tell us about yourself you know your background your story uh-huh. you were uh, you were in the banking industry first so <laughs> how did you jump from <laughs> banking to fashion startup <laughs> yeah yeah it feels like a different lifetime altogether now uh, but it's true, actually. So by origin, I'm Polish, but I left Poland uh, when I was still at school. Um, so I finished university in London, uh, which was an amazing thing, actually, for a, for a Polish kid, you know, um, experiencing a completely different culture and way of living and opportunities. That was the biggest thing, you know, um, because Poland at that time, didn't have as many opportunities for young people as uh, as perhaps they do now. So uh, yeah, banking. This is something that I I kind of went into soon after finishing graduating, and uh, I went very quickly into of uh, working with businesses. So with SMEs, then moving on to uh, meat market enterprises and all the way up to large corporates. So I think throughout the whole 13 years, I have been so close to businesses and that's something that I've been always so passionate about that I kind of, you know, I was getting my, uh, my fix. So I didn't have my own business at that time yet, but I was so close to other entrepreneurs and I was getting so excited, you know, seeing them on a daily basis, going to their businesses, looking at their products, you know, it was very, very engaging. So I can't say that I hated the job. I didn't, you know, it was it was a great experience. And I think the level of knowledge you develop from so many different industries was always also mind blowing, you know. But uh, for the good 13 years, I have been actually thinking, like, what can I do for myself in terms of my own little uh, baby business? And uh, suddenly the opportunity arose three years ago. And uh, it was during holiday, actually. I went to street where everything started. So very close to home (laughs) Um, for you, Megla. (laughs) Yes, Sri Lanka, uh, beautiful country, beautiful people. I was, uh, I fell in love with the place. Um, But my friends were into fashion and they were looking at some factories uh, over there. So I decided to join them. And on one of the trips, we go into a big manufacturing site for lingerie brands, big global brands. And I look at, you know, what they're doing and kind of, I, I just fell in love with everything they were doing. And I'm like, oh God, this is an opportunity. And I actually started my business with stocks. So I started bringing stocks from those factories in Sri Lanka. That's how everything started. So that was a wholesale business model for me to start with. And 
working with stocks you don't necessarily you're not allowed to take them to any marketplace i was actually restricted on some of the brands i couldn't take them to the uk so for me the journey had to start in poland my home country because that market was open so um yeah so that's how it all started i took the stocks with me to poland and since then we have grown because we have started speaking with brands within europe and the usa and we started onboarding other brands um, on an outlet basis so we were buying previous collections uh, very attractive pricing you know the customers were happy because they were saving money as well buying it with discounts so that's how we kind of started growing the retail side so i've got one brick and mortar um, store back home uh, we have been also working with retailers within poland um, and overseas as well for stocks and then we went online, so we wanted to test the waters, what it's like to sell lingerie online, which is very, very tough. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh my God, yes, yeah, you want to be super careful uh, how you do it and what um, pieces of lingerie you take online. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, and that has been actually growing really nicely for us. And now I'm preparing my own brand. Um, so yeah, probably the last 12 months, a lot of thinking, talking to my customers, looking at customers in fitting rooms, speaking with them, you know, finding out what they would like more of, you know, what would they like less of uh, in, terms of uh, in terms of underwear. And it's been mind blowing. So, so I've learned so much and uh, hopefully I can now uh, deliver all those, all these solutions that customers are looking for in my online. Right. So when you say stocks, like, can you tell us a mm -hmm. little bit about these stocks? Like, what are these products? Are these overruns from mm -hmm. uh, you know, other uh, orders that the supplier has has processed? Or what exactly are these stocks? Yeah, so you will have stocks of different grading. So sometimes you will have overruns. So uh, grade A stock, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. It should go on the shop floors, but sometimes, you know, uh, it's either overproduction. So, so there's more um, stock that has been produced, and it just doesn't go to to the stores. Um, so that's available to sell. Uh, but you also have maybe color schemes that have been introduced initially and then the management has changed their strategy in terms of what they want to put on the shop floor. So sometimes there will be colors or patterns that will be left behind in factories. But also you've got stock of uh, grade B or C, which might be a little bit faulty. And again, um, this is something that you can go into and that's even more discounted, but you have to be careful because obviously you know, for me, I've never been dealing with stocks of great uh, BNC for reputational reasons, I suppose. Yeah, um, I just don't want to be kind of uh, dealing with that. But there's opportunities if you want to explore, depending what you're doing, what you, where you're taking it, at what price level, there's opportunities there. Okay. Okay, so... You know, as you mentioned, like fashion is known as a high risk industry. So like, can you explain from your own experience, what are the risks mm -hmm. that, there, that there are? What are kind of the challenges that uh, people might expect to face in the fashion industry? Loads. 
<laughs> Let's talk about the biggest challenges in, oh, in your biggest. opinion. Um, you know what? I would probably say there's going to be like top six for me in my head um, yes. from my experience. First of all, I feel that for a newcomer, uh, there's this no barriers to entry, I suppose, or very limited barriers to entry, you know. And I, especially for females, I feel that we, since very young age, we're so close to fashion. We love dressing up, you know. We look what's happening. We, we, we watch the high streets, you know. We watch TV, celebrities. So fashion is almost in our blood since, uh, since very young age. So that's something that we get attracted by when we're thinking of launching our own business. Um, so in terms of saturation, because it feels like it's a very easy niche to go into, the saturation is high. Um, another reason is uh, the type of the product that you're manufacturing, that you're producing, that you're launching. You have to try it before you keep it. And that's a massive risk because obviously this means that if something doesn't fit well, it will go back to you. So you're experiencing returns. And in terms of returns, sorry, I'm like struggling with my earphones here. <laughs> I had to borrow them for this call. Um, so in terms of the returns, uh, on average in, uh, in fashion, it's about 30 to 40%, but also it depends on the marketplace. Wow. I, uh, yeah, it's okay. very, very high. Yeah. Reason? I think it's the fitting. For me, it's the fitting. It's not necessarily like color schemes or anything of that nature um it's what it looks like on a person when they receive goods at home or try them in the fitting room and that's where the decision making happen you know really whether you're gonna keep it or not and not everything will fit nicely obviously we've got different figures different bodies um you know especially in my niche with brass for example you might put 20 ladies in one line of the same measurements in centimeters but actually you will probably find just one bra that that will fit on two rather yeah. than all all 20 of them so this is how this can get really extreme in terms of lingerie, lingerie and, and bras. But even with clothing, you experience similar um, issues, you know. Sometimes you would have a collection that fits really nicely on a smaller size or fits really well on a plus size, but doesn't necessarily mean that the fitting will be perfect on every sizing that you do. So you have to be super careful and test, test, test on as many figures as you can before you launch. Mm. Um, uh, what else can I say? So that's touching on returns, um, discounting. So, so return rates on yeah. Amazon are thirty to forty percent. Mm -hmm. Is that is that right, or are they like in general thirty to forty percent and even higher on Amazon? It's in general thirty to forty for online uh, retailing. Okay. Yeah, for fashion, but it very much differs product to product and market to market. In brass, for example, it can be as high as 70%. So I really admire these online-only bra companies. So for me, managing my returns, I've got three business models. I've got wholesale, I've got brick and mortar, retail, and I've got online. So even if my return rate is a little bit higher on online, I can balance that off from other uh, kind of um, sources, right? right. Um, for us... I think the peak last year was 12%, which is an amazing achievement 
given yeah. that it's lingerie, you know. Um, but I read an interesting story about ASOS recently. So ASOS, online fashion retailer, um, they're experiencing about 40% return rate in, uh, in UK. When they started trading in Germany, for example, they were hit with something like, I think, 70%. Wow. <laughs> which took them very close to um, kind of, you know, like <laughs> not not a comfortable situation to be in, right? Um, yeah. So, so, yeah, you have to be mindful where you're selling and what you're selling. Right. So, guys, uh, uh, all of you watching, if you have any questions for Sylvia, type them in the Facebook comments box. Uh, or if you're on LinkedIn too, um, just type them in the comments and I'll read them out to Sylvia over here. So what are the other challenges? Um, the other challenges, yeah. <laughs> Let's continue with the list. Let's continue, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you also have seasonality. Yeah. So you've got two seasons um, and it gets even more complex nowadays because I think, you know, with the fast fashion, people want to, or brands want to, constantly be creative and putting new goods on the shop floors uh, just to keep the customer engaged and, and coming back to them. So in effect, I feel that sometimes for fast fashion, your seasonality will change every three months. There's always a collection going out, new designs, new color schemes. So again, if you're going into clothing, you have to be mindful that, you know, how is that going to impact you? And suddenly when you're um, making a large order with a supplier, because again, you have to do variations, you have to do sizing. In brass, we've got 120 sizes. Uh, in, in kind of clothing, it's, it's much better because you can stick with small, medium, large, extra large, and so on. So it gets a little bit easier, but you have to be mindful that your variations, uh, you know, will be, will be high, your stock holding will be high. There's a minimum on uh, making orders with your manufacturers, right? Because your factory is not going to be interested in manufacturing 60 pieces of size small. Right. They would probably want to run a whole production, uh, which is like 5,000 pieces altogether uh, per design. You also will have issues buying fabrics, textiles at smaller volume, because again, especially if you're doing your own designs, patterns and colors, the mill will have to prepare your own color scheme. So again, you're going to be um, facing minimum orders on that. Uh, so, so with seasonality, if you're buying 5,000 pieces, your brand is not well established yet. You know, you might find it challenging because seasonality will change. Maybe colors will go out of fashion very quickly, three to six months time. And then you're going to find yourself in a situation where perhaps you have to offer heavy discounting. Mm -hmm. um, and that means maybe 70%. So when you're thinking about your margins, about your starting price point, be mindful that you have to accommodate returns and you have to accommodate heavy, heavy discounting uh, later on, perhaps just to move your stock quickly. Uh, what else can I say? Um, yeah, that's probably the biggest challenges, you know. Right. Yeah. So what, what else do you do to minimize returns? Like what are some of the strategies mm -hmm. to, to minimize, uh, you know, yeah, mm -hmm. returns, especially online? Yeah. So I think before you launch, you really have to get your product right. I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So like, I feel like maybe um, I take sometimes too long, but I want to make sure because uh, 
having a brick and mortar business, it also makes me understand what it really, um, kind of how important fittings are, you know? Um, so it's not as easy as me uh, putting a line collection together and just trying it on myself and my friends. Every female is built so differently, you know, it's, it's, yeah. um, it, it's pretty crazy actually. So you have to make sure that your line will be successful on every body shape, on every silhouette, uh, or as many as possible. So testing and fitting is, is big, big thing for me before you even go into production. Um, and then communication with customers, you know, listening to your customers, getting feedback on board, uh, improving your product if you can as you go along, you know, um, and also providing customers with tools so they can actually get more information about how to pick the right size for them before they buy. And this is very challenging for online retailers for fashion. For example, with cosmetics, um, I don't know whether you know, but there's a new tool which is like a face scan for makeup, mm. which yeah. is amazing, right? You as a customer, you go, uh, before you decide what you want to buy, you scan your face and kind of the, the brand will show you what will look good on you or you can test different colors. But with, with clothing, it's very different because it's not necessarily about color, it's about the right fit. fit yeah. Now, we don't have technology in place to be able to address this issue. And especially for lingerie brands, this is extremely challenging because suddenly if we want to use the scanning technology, your customer will have to get undressed, will have to go in front of the camera and basically naked scan their bodies. Now... Yeah we've got privacy issues like where does this image go right yeah. who like is it going to be accessible by other people so i think this is a massive massive challenge for us we've got online calculators so you can measure uh, yourself put the numbers in and the online calculator will basically tell you what you should be ordering but as i say this you know our bodies are so differently built that going by centimeters alone is just not enough yeah. so so yeah we do as much as we can we provide information uh i've got very strong uh customer service support uh the staff is trained in bra fitting so we are a certified professional bra fitting um business which okay. means that if a customer wants to make a phone call and talk about you know uh the best style uh, cat structure of a bra they can do that with us and we can uh, support them with that but you know um, for a typical Amazon uh, seller this, this might be very challenging yeah <laughs> well let's see we have some comments here so Rajiv Kumar is asking where is Sylvia from and what does she do Rajiv you need to read the description of the of the post so Sylvia is originally from Poland and she has a lingerie brand uh, or a business, lingerie business, fashion business. Okay, Rishi Raj K has some questions here. What would uh -huh. be your advice for getting good traffic and attention who would convert to customers for someone starting out fresh with a new brand? So, yeah, I guess he's talking specifically, you know, about online. This um, is Amazon or of Amazon? Yeah, Rishi, and this is for fashion, right? 
I guess he's, yeah, should be for fashion. So Rishi, can you clarify? Mm -hmm. Do you mean for fashion? And do you mean specifically for Amazon? Because, uh, um, yeah, for, for fashion, you have to, you know, it can be offline, retail. Uh, let's see, he has some more questions here. How do you manage inventory and production across so many variations? That must be a lot of capital locked in, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. Do you want to address this question? Yeah, so how do you manage all of that? Yeah, so let's go with the first question. Um, so in terms of visibility, um, it depends really on your budget, right? You can always hire an agency that will uh, work with you in terms of promotion, promoting your brands. Oh, you just uh, answered off Amazon. Off Amazon, yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> you have to have a massive marketing budget to get the visibility that we all aspire to. But if you don't have uh, the funding, I think you just have to start organically. Make sure you've got really good images because that's really what customers are attracted uh, to. Have a brand story so you can communicate a message to your customer that the customer can associate with and they really love what you're doing in terms of where you're going and what you stand for. Uh, big trends, and, and that's something that we'll see in the future as well, is obviously the subject of um, sustainability. Yeah. So consider that as you're launching your brand, because that's something that you will see a lot of in um, social media. So again, you want to um, have a USP around sustainability and um, social responsibility being an ethical brand. We talk about that all the time, and you know that I, I feel that this is really helping us in terms of our uh, market positioning in Poland, for example. Um, women for women, that's another big subject. Um, so I don't know whether that's going to be relevant to you or not, but for fashion, that is something that females are looking for and kind of supporting each other. Uh, and customers tend to buy more from female-led businesses um as a way of i suppose you know as i said support loyalty you know um so it's something that again you can use in your marketing campaigns uh but you have to be mindful that with fashion it's you know it's gonna take time especially if you're doing it organically like we've done a lot of organic work yeah definitely one thing that you have to uh pay attention to is it gonna convert it's a tough question. <laughs> it's it's really a tough question because there's a lot of businesses that uh, invest heavily in social and they don't see the conversions. But I also know businesses that they only run their business on Instagram, for example, and a Shopify store. They're not even on other platforms and they're doing really, really well. Um, so I think it's like um, trialing different options and testing the waters and just see where what picks for you. But also consider retail. I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't run away from retail. I don't think it's dead. High street is not dead. Uh, actually, what I see more of is the appetite from department stores, even luxury department stores in London, for example, Selfridges or Liberties of London or Harrods they are converting their shop floors to independent uh, niche brands, fashion brands. So you can do your own pop-up at Harrods nowadays for a few weeks or a few, uh, few days, or uh, you know, they've, they've got really different kind of themes going on on those floors. Amazing opportunity for any startup brand. So make sure you've got that visibility going, you know, 
and you can achieve all of that uh, organically. Okay. The second question was about stock holding and cash yes. flow. Yes. Okay, that's a tough one. I think when you start, uh, keep it simple. Don't overcommit your cash to buying stock. Um, when I was starting my business and I didn't know much about lingerie, uh, I was pretty naive actually when I was starting because I didn't estimate, I didn't, I didn't know that I will be suddenly in a thirty thousand variation industry, because that's what it is for me, <laughs> for bras, just for bras, thirty thousand variations. <laughs> so don't overcommit yourself. You need to really do as much research as you can in terms of the sizing, the styling. You know, maybe just go for the sizing that a given uh, a given style will be sellable, will be mostly sellable in. The same with the color scheme. Uh, don't do a range of five colors. Start with the most popular ones, like black, maybe because that always sells really. Um, and start small on the volume. And I know it depends where you're manufacturing. You know, if you go to China, the 3,000 or 5,000 will be probably the minimum. But you can uh, speak with other smaller um, factories. For example, for me, um, I've got some factories that I work with in China, in Sri Lanka, but also locally in Poland. And I, what I love about Poland is the fact that I can test a new collection on 100 uh you know, pieces per size, which is amazing. This would never be possible if I was uh, speaking with a supplier in China. So maybe consider sourcing from smaller family-owned uh, businesses to start with, just to test the waters. Don't overcommit your cash. I have seen so many businesses, I've spoken to so many businesses that, you know, kind of get tempted by the price in China. Uh, they don't really understand sizing or fitting or, or maybe necessarily fashion. They take it to Amazon, uh, 5,000 pieces bought and suddenly it's a write-off very quickly and, and, and actually losses in terms of returns because it just doesn't fit well mm. or the quality is not there. So please be careful, start small, grow organically and then once you build your knowledge, your confidence, go bigger. Okay, that's good advice. And um, you've, uh, you mentioned previously when we were talking offline that uh, you were trying to source from Sri Lanka as well for your brand and then the MLQs were pretty high there as well. So that's why you decided to now uh, source from Poland, right? So, um, I mean, I started in Sri Lanka. So, like, Sri Lanka was always on my radar for my own brand. And I've got a lovely relationship with the factories there. So, um, I have actually been speaking with, with Sri Lanka. Very similar um, kind of requirements to China in terms of MOQs. Uh, the production in Sri Lanka will be probably a little bit more expensive, uh, but I also feel the quality of product uh, will be probably a little bit better, depending who you're manufacturing with, I suppose. But, um, but you know, I would pick Sri Lanka perhaps over China for many reasons. Um, so I'm not discounting Sri Lanka at this point in time, but I think with the coronavirus now as well, the challenge is that a lot of big brands are looking to fulfill their production outside of China just to manage their pipelines right. and their collections for the coming seasons. Mm -hmm. So if they're concerned about manufacturing in China, they will take their production to other manufacturers in Taiwan, 
Sri Lanka, India, Bangladesh. And uh, as an independent brand, you might find it challenging to do a smaller production uh, this year because of coronavirus alone. So that actually is something that I, I feel is happening with us as well, because one manufacturing site is not able to accommodate our order because, you know, we're not a massive player. And suddenly they've got big names approaching them, moving the uh, manufacturing outside from, from China to, to other countries. So, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm seeing. So, I mean, a lot of the bigger brands, of course, they already manufacture in different uh, countries and, you know, most of their production is in China, but they do have factories in other locations and they're actually increasing their production in other locations. And I think this is one reason why big brands have diversified sourcing so that they can bank and, you know, they, they're not putting all their mm -hmm. eggs in one basket and Absolutely. now it's time to... Um, yeah, increase the production in other uh, countries when there are supply mm -hmm. chain problems in China. So mm -hmm. Rishi over here is listening very carefully and he's actually summarized all of the points that you said previously to answer his first question. So number one, images, brand story, good yeah. customer relations, trend analysis, female for female. Wow, good point. <laughs> Organic, consider retail. Thanks for your inputs. P.S. I'm a huge fan of lean social media marketing. Mm -hmm. So, that's oh, good. lovely! Thank you so much. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a great summary. Yeah, and <laughs> you also you. summarized your second answer. So, variation and cash flow. Start with the most popular one. Start small. Source from small mm -hmm. local suppliers. Don't overcommit. Cash. Super points by Sylvia. That's <laughs> <right>. <laughs> okay, he's got a couple more questions. So he says, "How do you seek suppliers in Sri Lanka?" Oh, good question. Okay, so in the other country for that matter, there's a second okay. part to that question. <laughs> okay, okay. So in terms of China, uh, I went to Canton, so you can always go, uh, Megla, you're doing your trips in India as well. So that's an amazing opportunity uh, to link with people who are experts on a given market and can put you in touch with the right contacts for your niche. Um, I didn't have that benefit when I was starting with Sri Lanka, but I did have some Sri Lankan friends, so they have actually helped me out. So that was uh, a fantastic experience. Um, so yeah, just speak with people in a given niche or, or uh, within Amazon community, there's so many experts with links and just look for agents that way. If anybody needs contacts for Sri Lanka and especially for fashion, I do have an agent that I can put you in touch with. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, you know, for me, Sri Lanka was a, a holiday trip and kind of a uh, few friends that knew people and that's how it all started. Wow. But, you know, don't, I, I feel also that people shouldn't discount Alibaba um, because I've got some amazing uh, contacts from Alibaba and manufacturers that I work with and, um, you know, I don't necessarily have to go to China and, and spend money that I don't have maybe at a given point in time because um, I can find suppliers online too. Right, absolutely. And um, yeah, I mean, Global Sources, Alibaba, these are great uh, marketplaces where you can actually find some good uh, suppliers. Okay, we've got one question on LinkedIn. So Ryan Shad is asking, thanks for sharing this information. 
what is Sylvia's advice for new beginners who would like to start with a fashion niche? So this was going to be actually my next question for you. You know, mm -hmm. really, what advice do you have for someone who's thinking of starting um, a fashion brand? So I would say, uh, and that's kind of learning for me, you know, the last three years of my journey, uh, start small, please start small. Mm -hmm. uh, because I've met a couple of Amazon sellers buying from Chinese uh, factories, buying a fashion from Chinese factories, um, where you don't have control, like, uh, you know, the quality might not be there and they're committing to big volume and you've got variations to think of. And I mean, just a disaster. Like, I feel so sorry that people kind of end up in this situation where they have to do a full write-off. Um, so please start small. Be careful going for unbranded uh, uh, fashion because... The B2C model, I feel like it's actually disappearing uh, nowadays, and I think that's going to be the trend as we move into the future. So now your competitors online are not only re uh, resellers or, or brand owners, they're actually, it's going to be the factory itself that you're buying from. Now you're never going to beat the factory. So if you're buying fashion, especially the Chinese fashion factories, they're all over Amazon selling at $10, $12, $6, you know, like you're never going to beat that, never. So be careful, be careful with the unbranded uh, fashion, okay? Now, um, I believe in private label. I believe even stronger in your own, creating your own brand where you can add value, where you have a story to share, uh, where you've got certain USPs that uh, are only yours, you've got full control, and you've got your own designs. Um, so even if you start small, you know, think in those terms, like, can I do this by myself? Can It, sh it will be my own designs, my own colors, my own, um, I don't know, styles that, um, that you can just launch and, and go with it. Um, but... So think small in terms of the volume. Now, also think big in terms of your exposure. So that's another advice. Think big about your exposure. So be everywhere where you can be in terms of social media, uh, retailers, you know, think about the pop-ups, collaborations with other brands. That's really, really important in fashion. So have that visibility as much as you can. Don't restrict yourself to just your own store online or eBay or Amazon. And depending where you are and what you want to do with your brand, you know, if you're thinking about a more expensive luxury brand, maybe Amazon is not even the right place for you, you know? So something to bear in mind. And you will find that when you go and speak with buyers from um, luxury department stores, they will ask you a question like, so where are you present at the moment in terms of online platforms or marketplaces? And once you mention it's eBay and Amazon, that association might not be welcomed. So, <laughs> so you know, it really depends where you want to be in terms of the price point, the offering, uh, quality of the product. Right. Totally makes sense. And so when somebody's starting out, you know, what do you think is the best way for them to start? Should they do ready-made designs and just import ready-made designs? Or, you know, should they go for their own designs and own production? I started with selling other brands. Um, I'm not a designer, 
um my background is banking so i was strong on the numbers but maybe not so much on that kind of uh creativity in terms of doing my own designs but i've learned that through my work with other brands you know and selling their designs and speaking with customers like this contact with a customer is just incredible for fashion and be able to really understand their challenges wardrobe challenges and and silhouettes and how you can address issues because especially if you're delivering a product for a female you know most of us will have our own insecurities um i think statistically something like 90% of females will will have insecurity uh moments on a daily basis uh around <laughs> our image the way we look our bodies so when you do fashion for a female you have to bear that in mind um so yeah i mean you can you can start with with maybe not necessarily your own designs unless you know you have had that experience and you've got a really good ideas on what you want to deliver then then go ahead with that it's a, it's a difficult question to answer really um you definitely you'll definitely learn about any industry if you kind of you know go into it and maybe learn from others rather than you jumping in and dedicating a lot of cash into something that you might not necessarily understand from day one right so just go slow and steady and you know take mm -hmm. it one step at a time fashion is never going to be a one night success unless you're kim kardashian you know that's <laughs> <laughs> that's the really that's the reality of that niche so so be patient uh, it's going to take time cool Okay, so I hope that answers your question, Ryan. And uh, Rishi has posted a few more questions. So he summarized your previous answer about finding <laughs> suppliers. So how do you seek suppliers? Um, yeah, network with people, given niche uh, groups or agents. Go on a holiday <laughs> and discover. Yeah, on the exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I agree with your Alibaba theory. Um, let's see. That was going to be my next question. Um, yeah, so starting small, lean, having patience is the most critical element for every good entrepreneur. I hear it again and again and talk about it all the time. Be where the attention is. And Amazon is not the right place for luxury brands. It'll be a damn right idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one one, one um, piece of advice also, if you're only on Amazon or you're only considering Amazon, is please uh, look into industry news and what's going on in your niche outside of Amazon. Because I feel that we've got a tendency of following our competitors within Amazon platform alone, and that's what we stick to. And we just see what's going on. And we're kind of chasing like it's a, you know, uh, they've got better images, so we try to beat them on images. Suddenly they've got different descriptions, so we want to do better descriptions. Then they're reducing their price, so we're going to go even lower. Like, yes. it's a vicious circle. I think you can do much better by following what's going on in your niche outside of Amazon. So I give you an example from my industry. So when Kim Kardashian was launching her brand Skims, which is shapewear, Mm -hmm. It was massive. This was massive. You know, you had people queuing, waiting, not spending any money on lingerie for weeks because they were waiting for that launch day. Now, oh. if me or anybody else or even a big brand that is injecting a lot of money into their business launch or a collection launch around those the same dates as Kim Kardashian was launching, that would be just like 
completely money wasted, right? Yeah. Because the attention was just not there. It was all about Kim. And she's delivered a massive success on day one, on that mm -hmm. launch day. She has actually achieved much stronger sales in that one day than uh, Sarah Blakey uh, in her year one of trading. The whole year was weaker than one day for Kim Kardashian's uh, brand launch. So, you know, mm -hmm. kind of you know be be close to the industry community and not just amazon uh platform right okay so let's see if there are any more questions um or comments here yeah rishi's saying riding the trends okay so you mentioned a little bit about uh you know manufacturing in sri lanka china and poland so can you give us uh like a bit of more experience uh, and share mm -hmm. a bit of you know your experience uh, sourcing from all these different countries and you haven't sourced from india yet have you no <laughs> not yet. but not yet yeah exactly yeah. and i would presume that it's very similar to sri lanka probably right i don't know have you what's your experience between the the two countries so i think it's um so India has a lot of uh, different types of suppliers, different types of, uh, you know, um, apparel industries. For example, in the south, like Tirupur, which is closer to Sri Lanka, there are a lot of the larger factories that, um, you know, produce very high volumes of knitted garments and, um, you know, a lot of the textile mills and all are there. There's a city called Tirupur that is literally the production hub for apparel and textiles and a lot of the knitted, um, you know, pr products and all come out from there. But in the north, it's more of the woven products and cotton t-shirt uh, shirts and pants and lowers and you know all of those kinds of uh, uh, products. So I think the industry is kind of different in the north and south. And I also think that there are um, a lot of different types of suppliers. I mean, there are of course these huge factories with you know hundreds of workers and large capacity, and they would not entertain smaller orders of you know mm -hmm. 100, 200 pieces. But at the same time, there are smaller companies as well, smaller um, uh, factories that have you know maybe like 15, 20 sewing machines set up. There is in fact one manufacturer from Chennai, which is a city in the south who had attended India sourcing trip last year. And um, um, he gave a presentation to people about how the textile industry is organized in India. And uh, he himself runs a very small manufacturing unit in Chennai with about, you know, 15, 20 sewing machines. And so he's mm -hmm. the kind of person who would do smaller orders. So I think in India, it is possible to do smaller orders, just because there are um, a very diverse range of uh, manufacturers. There are the big companies and there are the smaller uh, companies as well. So yeah, that's that's been kind of my experience. Okay, and uh, Megla, has anybody mentioned the GSP plus uh, regulation on your podcast before? So this is yeah. something that we can take advantage of, um, especially for the European buyers. Okay. Or, or in general, uh, sellers within EU uh, sending goods from certain countries, Asian countries, uh, into the EU because you can save yourself. So, for example, for me on textile products, it's 12% duty. So if you uh, are manufacturing in Sri Lanka, and I think India might be also part of the agreement with the EU, 
So, yeah, I know India was, yeah. India had a, an agreement with the U.S. previously, and India was on okay. their GSP list for the U.S., Yeah, but it was taken off the list, um, I think it was last year or maybe the year before that, uh -huh. it was taken off the list. But I'm not sure if it's still on the list for EU. I think it should be, okay. but the U.S. has taken it off, yeah. So, uh, obviously, I don't have experience of, ED, of India in terms of the EU trade, but for Sri Lanka, for sure, you can manufacture in Sri Lanka, but you have to make sure that uh, the uh, materials are also made in Sri Lanka or another market that sits within the, uh, uh, the regulation. So, uh, so for example, if India is on the list, I can bring my cotton from India into Sri Lanka or manufacturing in India, and then I'm going to benefit um, from the 12% rate saving on import into the EU. So if I manufacture in China, I'm not going to get the benefit of that. So that's another advantage in terms of manufacturing in those jurisdictions. Okay. Um, yeah, so but in yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, but in general, like the difference for me, kind of China versus Sri Lanka versus Poland uh, on the sourcing side, you know, my home country will always be my home country. It's uh, I speak the same language, uh, you know, uh, the proximity to the supplier is very close, so I can get in the car and go and see them face to face if I want to. Uh, I've got no exchange rates to worry about. Uh, lead times are much quicker. Volume of orders is, is lower. Um, a lot of sampling is done for many, many brands, independent brands, especially in Europe, not just Poland, but other European countries as well because of the volume. Um, and, you know, you can negotiate credit terms much easier in your, in your home market uh, versus an overseas supplier. So there's a lot of benefits of that. But, um, you know, for Sri Lanka or for China, I feel that maybe there's more of know-how uh, because the industry leaders are manufacturing, are manufacturing there. So obviously what goes with that is those labs, massive labs, where R&D happens. Now, when that happens in a given market, India, Sri Lanka, Taiwan, China, that's where the technology is and that's where the investment is that you can take advantage from as an independent brand too. So there's minuses and pluses. What I love about Sri Lanka versus the other two countries is that when I started working on my own designs with a factory there, they broke down all the costs to an absolute cent. So the transparency of that business deal was just phenomenal. I've never seen anything like that before. Okay. Um, very professional approach um, and, and the transparency that I don't really get to see in China, for example. Mm. So in terms of prices, how do you compare the three countries? Like about, would you say slightly more expensive than China? Mm -hmm. I mean, China would always come cheaper, uh, at least for, for me. Uh, but obviously, you've got the volume. So if, you, if you've got volume, then you can, you can do China. Uh, Sri Lanka, because it's an island, they rely on imports. So sometimes when you're manufacturing and you have to bring raw materials from outside of Sri Lanka, that's going to be additional cost. Um, so, you know, Sri Lanka will be a little bit more expensive. Um, 
Poland is an interesting one because sometimes we presume that it's going to be very expensive to manufacture at home, but it's not. <laughs> so, like, seriously, I would definitely consider, you know, speaking with local suppliers, uh, especially for a startup brand, because yeah. you might be pleasantly surprised how easy uh, and cost effective it can actually be. Awesome. Let's see, we've got some comments here. So Chris is saying, great advice on the get close to the community outside of Amazon. We do get too focused on just Amazon sometimes. That's so true. I mean, especially for fashion, it's uh, super important. Uh, Batiste is here. Oh. <laughs> hey. Awesome watching you dropping the nuggets. <laughs> um, we'll have to catch the replay to catch up the whole conversation. Yes, you have to. Okay, Rishi is saying, um, what would be the steps towards getting into retail as per you for someone who only sells online? Yeah, that's mm -hmm. a good question. Somebody who wants to get into retail and especially so, I mean, Rishi is based in India. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what if he wants to get into retail either in India? Of course, that would be easier. But what if he wants to get into retail in the U.S.? Is that even possible? <laughs> Yeah, everything's possible, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's my approach in life. You can do anything. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it's not as tough as people might think. And for me, again, like when I look at certain brands on Amazon, I see so many beautiful things, you know, that come from family-owned businesses. There's, you know, the, the level of detail and craft that goes into these products. Sometimes I look at that and I'm like, I'm just thinking to myself, it's such a shame that people just stick with Amazon only. Like, I would love to see these products on the shelves of, you know, uh, Harrods or, or, or Macy's or, or another big um, retail player. Um, okay, so you can do different things, you know. You can just uh, look people up on LinkedIn from those department stores. You can send them a message. You can try to arrange meetings face-to-face. -face. Uh, if you can fly in for a meeting, that's amazing if you're not based in the country where you want to be selling. Um, take samples with you if you don't sell the goods yet. Just get the buyer's feel for what you're trying to deliver because they might give you amazing feedback before you even go into uh, proper manufacturing. So maybe you want to start with samples in terms of having those meetings with buyers. Uh, trade shows, another amazing opportunity. Um, I actually work with a Canadian brand and their success story was that they went to a local trade show and uh, it was, I uh, can't remember, but I think it was Walmart's buyer approaching their stand um, and just being smitten with the product. So they didn't even have to work hard on trying to get into retail. The retail came to them. And just like that, you know, uh, overnight, that was a success because now we think, you know, that's massive exposure for your brand, big orders, if you can uh, accommodate, um, amazing, amazing story. So that's how they um, became really successful because of that one contract. Um, so, yeah, so just be open-minded. But also, you know, if you're staying close to your industry, you're probably following other brands that are similar to you outside of Amazon, I keep saying, um, <laughs> and maybe other niches that uh, 
would be a good fit in terms of doing collaborations with. So again, just you know, reach out to people by email, phone call. It, it, sometimes it feels like cold calling, but you never know where it's gonna take you. So uh, definitely, just you have to be proactive and look for those opportunities. Uh, but yeah, approaching people, sending emails, making phone calls, arranging meetings, uh, popping into their stores, asking, is there a buyer I can talk to? Um, can I drop my samples off and can somebody give me a ring back? Or, you know, there's so many different ways you can do that. Um, mm -hmm. And trade shows, yeah, big one. Okay, that's great advice. So, um, yeah, that has been so um, awesome. Such great advice you've given to everybody here. So, Sylvia, what are you most excited about um, for this year in 2020? I mean, in terms of your business and all of the opportunities ahead, what is it that you're looking forward to? Well, first of all, I can't wait to see everybody from the community at the next uh, event. So I don't know yeah. where that's going to be. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah. at some conferences, right? What are yeah, some of the conferences I mean, that you're speaking at? So I will be speaking at AmaFest, that's on the 13th of March in uh, Manchester. Then I'm at, uh, the, actually I've got my schedule here because I've got a few, um, the Internet Retaining Export Birmingham on 1st of April. I'm also in Bulgaria. Um, and then we've got uh, seller sessions, obviously in London. I hope to see you there, Megla, are you going to come? Probably, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, there, there's a few. So uh, it's it's really awesome. Um, but yeah, um, sorry. What was the question? Now I get I'm getting so excited about talking about the community. Like I'm big on community because as an entrepreneur, it's so hard. You know, you're kind of working by yourself, so it feels really uh lonely sometimes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I just wanted to know what you're most excited about. Okay, sorry. Definitely, I was over excited about that. Um, <laughs> okay, so um, as some of you know, I'm, I'm preparing launch of my own brand. So I already have a couple of private labels in Poland, uh, but now I'm doing my own designs, my own proper brand. So I'm very proud of that initiative. It's not uh, finalized yet, so it's still going to take a few months. But 2020 is the launch of, of my own uh proper baby that's what they call it so uh so yeah that's uh that's gonna be pretty awesome looking forward to that that's cool and um you were saying you're planning to write a book as well or i do want to write a book yes yeah uh i don't think i'm gonna find time for it this year but i would love <laughs> to put something together around uh working in the lingerie niche because it's so complex in fashion, lingerie is the most difficult area to be in. So I think I want to do something like a tool guide or something like that for young designers, people still at universities wanting got to go into lingerie business um, to give them some hints and tips on how to best do it. Awesome. Cool. So, um, Sylvia, the best way for people to reach you in case they want to seek any advice or maybe collaborate with you um, is through your Facebook page. Is that correct? Yeah. So I've got my own page where I share my thoughts about the industry, fashion, marketing, whatever kind of, you know, sometimes something comes to my head and I get inspired. So I just put it down on my page so yeah you're very welcome to follow it and send me a message if you want to chat further awesome so 
last few comments from Rishi. He's he's summarized all of your points for going into retail. And he's also saying, that's a good topic for a book. Go for it. Unique and driven by experience. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Um, awesome. It was so good talking to you, Sylvia. Thank you so you much too. for sharing all of your advice and your expertise. And um, yeah, best of luck for 2020. We're looking forward to you know your new brand and um, hope that it reaches new heights. And I look forward to seeing you in India someday. You should definitely yes, consider coming totally. over to India. <laughs> totally. Thank you very much. I'll definitely do that. And awesome. thank you for the opportunity to be on your podcast. It was a pleasure. It was lovely to be with you and uh, to get so many questions. So thank you, guys.